Hey man, you want to be in the movie or TV business? Oh, I got a way in for you. I got a way in for you, man. The Dave School. That's right. The Dave School offers both online and on-campus programs. Go check out daveschool.com slash smodcast, man. Uh, on campus, you could do the 12 month visual effects, uh, production diploma. You could do the bachelor's degrees and, uh, visual effects production program, classic, the VFX program that could prepare you for a career in visual effects and the new gaming program that could teach you how to create characters, environments, and animation for AAA titles, man. Dave School, as always. Is at Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida, man, on Soundstage 25 on the back lot of Universal Studios Orlando. They got 35,000 square foot facility. Includes three labs, a working soundstage with a massive green screen, 25 foot theater screen, and motion capture system, man. After 16 plus years of training artists for the entertainment industry, the Dave School has put Orlando on the map as a resource for next generation production ready artists. The new programs are going to start on January 7, 2019, man. So there's still plenty of time to apply. As part of the curriculum, every class makes a short movie or a game. You're going to work as a team just like you will at a studio. You want to be in the movie business, TV business, gaming business? Dave School is your ticket, man. Check out www.daveschool.com slash modcast. This elegantly engrossing episode of Smodcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com slash smod, S-M-O-D. Enter offer code smod, S-M-O-D, at checkout, and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase now. Welcome to Smodcast. You want a podcast? I got a Smodcast. You want a podcast? I got a Smodcast. You want a Bro, Scotty Moe, it's about time to lose your shit. Everybody's progress clips for that legend, Kevin Smith. Welcome to Smodcast. I'm Kevin Smith. Okay, man. Uh, th- this, unfortunately, you didn't hear the conversation we just did for the last hour because, uh, as I kind of put it to today's guest, like you rarely, I rarely get to have conversations with people that do what I do. And that's like, I there, I don't know a lot of directors and to be fair, yes, there are more like directors in the world than there are accordion masters say, but you know, it, there's not a fuck ton of us, you know, there've been over time. Movies have only been around for like a hundred fucking years and stuff and TV, less than that so it's a fraternity a sorority a, a, a collegiate if you will um that doesn't include any everybody anybody can direct um but those that you know actually go for it and give it a shot and are you know are few and far between those that are able to make a career of it um to get known for their work praised for it to be recognized for a style that is uniquely your own then you start getting into insanely rarefied fucking air. And in my case, good or bad, even if you're like, I hate his work and shit, or I love his work, you got to go like, oh, I can recognize a Kevin Smith movie a mile away. They fucking reek of Kevin Smith and stuff. So that's a style, man. So suddenly you're in an even weirder group of 
directors where, you know, it's, it's not just, uh, you're, you're not just the guy who gets hired to come in for a week on a show and, and then move on and stuff. And I've done that as well. I'm not saying that's less than or anything like that. There are just so many different levels to this game. You rarely get to like bullshit with somebody who knows your distinct language, knows the planet you've been to. I've referenced Terms of Endearment, the great James L. Brooks uh, film from 1983, where Jack Nicholson plays an astronaut living in uh, Houston next to Aurora Greenway. And at one point he, uh, you know, talks about she, she's kind of busting his ball cause, balls because he's, you know, always fucking working the astronaut thing um, with chicks and whatnot. And the girls are all young and he's clearly middle aged and stuff. And, you know, he gets kind of defiant at one point, like and says, you know, is very just insanely memorable line and performance to me. And, you know, mind you, I saw this first time when I was like 13 and I still, so that's like 35 years ago at this point, still fucking like meant something to me. Then now means something to me even more. He goes, uh, there's, there's 35, uh, fucking air astronauts in the world. And I'm one of them. Like, it's a small group that he's a part of and he recognizes that and at one point he's boastful about it. And then later on in the movie he's wistful about how they never all got together and just talked about, you know, their fears because they all shared the same fears and did something that very few people did. I ain't saying we're fucking astronauts. We, we are scared. <laughs> oh, we're fucking scared though. Uh, directors are a, a superstitious and cowardly lot as Batman once said <laughs> shortly before a bat came through his window. Um, and we're in a, a little club of directors today, man. I got to sit here and bullshit with a director about director type stuff, have conversations. You never really get to have with other people. Couldn't have had the conversation I just had today with my wife, like could have had it, but she would have been like, ah, well, you know, if I ever directed, that would have made sense, Kevin, but talking to another director about shared experiences and stuff uh, was really refreshing it is and like i guess you know there's a guy was gonna say there should be a club and i guess there is it's the dga yeah but i've never really clubbed it there or anything like that i i just know precious few directors and this is one of my favorite men who i get to talk to today i talked to him a long time ago on a podcast we used to do in the mornings smornings with jennifer me and my my wife um or plus one per diem it might have been called at that point um but this is the first time he's been on smodcast um, he's here to chit chat about many things, but of course he's got a flick out right now, man. And Oscar seasons, one of those, uh, movie, one of those awards movies reeks of awards movie. Like when I watched the flick, I was just like, this is one of those awards movies, man. And it came out at the right fucking time. Um, he's an awards kid, man. He's been up there before. Uh, his movies are insanely fucking respected. He's built a career and distinguished himself. Um, outside of a career that, you know, uh, others might be haunted by uh, because he chose the same line of work as his dad. His dad directed and his kid went on to direct and his kid went on to somehow, and that's the fucking miracle too, uh, have a career that's so distinct and so distinguished uh, of his own, separate from his dad, that it's weird. I don't, Unless he, it comes up, I don't really think of the two in the same breath. You, you're your own 
director, your own man and stuff, even though you came from another director. There's another guy I could have a conversation <laughs> with as well. Um, without further ado, so he could fucking finally speak up. Uh, one of the most talented uh, fucking filmmakers in the business, man. He's got a movie called The Front Runner, which you could see right now in theaters, starring uh, this uh, unknown actor uh, who who I think might break out this year, name of Hugh Grant. Uh, Hugh Grant. Nice. <laughs> 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 so famous. Oh, my God. So famous. Uh, Hugh Jackman, the great Hugh Jackman. Um, welcome uh, to the show. Jason Reitman, how Thank are you? you. I, well, after that intro, I can die, I, frankly. I mean, that. Uh, uh, look, uh, I've said it so many times. You're one of the directors who made me want to, uh, to be a director. You're very sweet. So uh, to hear you rattle that off, uh, off the top of your head, and say such kind things, uh, which I think you actually mean. I they, do mean. Um, uh, they fill my heart in a way that I can't even begin to explain. So thank oh, you very much. You're now, such a good kid. Uh, sweetie, uh DGA, do you? I don't think I've seen you. Do you go to the DGA feature director's dinner? No. Why not? I don't know if. Do they invite you to that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, you probably <laughs> just have the wrong email. They probably have like your business manager as your email or something. But I, I, I uh, let me see. I joined. I didn't join. Did you join right away? Like yeah. when you became? Uh, I joined as a commercial director. Get out of here. Yeah, young. Um, and that's pre. Was the was thank you for smoking is the first flick. Uh, thank you for smoking is two thousand five. What were you doing prior to that? Wait a second, Look, I want to talk to you about this. Is like, <laughs> this is like one of the great nights of a year. What do you do? So at the, this is at the DGA. Yeah, for those DGA. that don't follow, the DGA is the Directors Guild of America. It's our it's our clubhouse and our union. Yeah, and they have this cool building at the corner of Sunset and Fairfax, and they have this beautiful movie theater inside. It's actually one of yeah, the best theaters. Fantastic in Los Angeles, movie the theater. The first place I saw Last Crusade. Is that right? Was, uh, yeah, the DGA. It was uh, the first time they showed. It was the premiere of Last Crusade. the DGA. Uh, I sat there with my dad and watched it. It was like, oh, my God, this movie is so good. But um, I remember seeing um, – I mean, this is not nearly the same thing. I've, saw, I've seen a lot of movies there, including Argo, like yeah. Affleck's big fucking coming out party when they screen it. But I remember going to see Gangs in New York. Oh, no kidding. And me and my, my friend Vincent Prayer were like, movies done. We watched through the credits and stuff. We head out. So we were like – two of the first people to come mm -hmm. out because we were seated toward the back of the theater and we were huge Scorsese guys. So we're walking out and he's like, what'd you think? I was like, I loved it, man. I couldn't fucking believe the accent, man. Like, cause we'd heard about Daniel day Lewis, mm -hmm. like finding some old voice cylinders yeah, and going yeah, for this course. pinched New York accent. And all of a sudden I hear Kevin and I turn around and it's Martin Scorsese mm -hmm. and I've never met Martin Scorsese. So immediately I look, clock him, look around to see if Kevin Costner <laughs> or somebody more famous that he's more, you know, maybe on a first term basis, with, first name basis. And I turned around. It was just me. And he goes, uh, what'd you think? And I said, oh, my God, I loved it. He loved it, too. We both loved it. I was, we were just talking about Daniel Day-Lewis doing the voice. He's going, wasn't the voice great? I said, oh, my God, the voice was fantastic man i said what a pleasure to meet you i was nuts man. that's insane it was a magical moment for me oh but right. you're saying the dga so, offers that on a regular basis once a year they do something called the feature director's night okay and they have dinner you come in it's drinks and then seated dinner and there's no plus ones you're not allowed to bring anyone so and the just... only way to come is if you are a feature director not TV, not commercials, only features. There's about 100 guys. So it speaks to the idea you were just saying. Hmm. Small group of people in the world that actually do this. And on that night, you sit down 
tables of eight or ten people, and everyone sitting at the table is another member of the tribe. It's another guy who makes really? movies or another woman who makes movies. And it's and and people go and it's crazy. Like you'll see Spielberg there and Chris Nolan there and like, you know, all kinds of badass directors. And it's one of those rare places where you get to actually meet and you talk and you share ideas. And uh, I've had everything from kind of bullshit conversations to actually asking directors about actors they've worked with because I was thinking about working with them myself. I've had relationships formed there and younger guys, older guys, everyone wears Everyone wears like a pin that says their name. So like, as you go, he's like, oh my God, I know you. I know your name. Get and, out of here. Uh, and it's, it's a wonderful night. And, and I think sometimes as a, as a director, you can feel as though, yeah, maybe people don't think of me as a real director. And maybe people like, you know, if I met them, they would, they would, uh, in the back of their head, they would be giving me shit. And you come to that dinner and you realize there is this mutual respect for just like, how hard it is to get one of these things off the ground right. to just because until you've done it, it's really hard to explain why it's so stressful to make a movie, to kind of put a complete movie inside your head, sacrifice the rest of your life. I mean, your friends, your family, everything that is important to you all of a sudden is just is in the backseat and your brain is filled with this movie that you are hoping as people, you know, uh, put a budget together and like give you money to actually make this and like cast and crew sacrifice their time and their families to go make this movie all because you're like, Hey man, I really got to tell this story. And they've all showed up and made this sacrifice. And so everyone in that room that night knows what it feels like to carry that sacrifice. And, and because that you walk up and they see your name and they smile and everyone does this to each other. You could just feel it. Everyone has a kind of mutual respect for the gig, for the job and you get to just nerd out with Catherine Bigelow, or like whoever, and oh my God. and oh, it's one of my favorite nights of the year. And my dad never went. My dad was like you. My dad was like, I don't know, I, what is that thing? And I was like, you're coming with me. I took him as my date, and we go now, and uh, and he loves it. And I get to watch as like one by one every young people come over come and genuflect. And, and this thing that he rarely feels because he doesn't feel it from fellow directors he doesn't know where he stands in their hearts and when he goes on that night one by one they walk up and they talk to him about what meatballs or stripes or ghostbusters or animal house or dave and what they mean to them and and we all do that for each other whether you're someone who's like made 30 movies or whether you're made someone who's made two movies and we saw a fucking few minutes before the show began we were like blowing james l brooks and then realized he literally has only made six movies Yeah, yeah 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 Fucking so, like, think I, I, I would be interested in that for the sole reason of running into someone like your dad or someone like Spielberg, someone whose shit I grew up on, just to be like, oh my god, because you did this, Mm -hmm. like, because your dad did meatballs and stripes, like, and of course, not to mention Ghostbusters, and then was involved with Animal House. That's why I write the way I write. That's why Randall Graves exists in Clerks. <laughs> like, that's why it was always really sweet when you were like, uh, Clerks made me think I could be a filmmaker. And that's because your dad's work made me feel like, not that I could be a filmmaker, <laughs> but like, I recognize that guy, that that character. I want to be that man who's 
the smartest guy in the room. Like I always described it as like a human bugs bunny. Like that's what <laughs> Tripper was and meatballs yeah, and, yeah. and you know, uh, stripes, uh, um, what was his character in stripes? Um, winger. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on Venkman, the smartest fucking rabbit in the room. And your dad was the archetype of that character. Like it was his work mm-hmm. that introduced that to me and made me go, all right, well, this is who Randall is. He's that guy. His cinematic forebears are, are these people. And well, stuff. welcome, welcome to the Reitman family then, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, did you see that I found my stubs? Yes. My stubs for Clerks and for Mallrats and for Dogma and for Chasing Amy and for Jay and Silent Bot. Like, Unbelievable. Uh, did, I wasn't sure if you got the photo. I did. Jason found his his ticket stubs. Um, it, it, he, I saw it as part of a documentary that mm-hmm. Malcolm was making um, that he saved. For, you save all your ticket stubs? All my. Yeah, I got all the stubs. I got my did stubs that going begin? back to early 90s. Are you shitting me? Yeah. Yeah. Why did that begin? You know, uh, I, I think just like you, just like anyone who loves this. Um, do you still do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got all my stops. Uh, is that, and it sucks now because now they're like flimsy yeah. pieces of paper or yeah. they're digital. Yes. Uh, and they used to be kind of harder and you're going to really hold on to them. But, um, and my clerk stuff is crazy because it was Sunset 5, mm-hmm. early Sunset 5, when they were just punching <laughs> these tiny little tickets and I had to handwrite on it, you know. And then <coughs> I, put, I put the clerks. That sounds like so stupid. But uh, it looks like the ticket. You would give out at a 50-50 drawing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a standard <laughs> roll of tickets. Uh, but uh, I, I've had them going back to the point where, I don't know, it used to feel like that was a safe place. Movie theater was always a safe place. On the weekend, you just go and you just live at the movie theater all day long. Mm-hmm. And as someone who kind of grew up with, I don't know, like anxiety and looking for a place to fit in and all that shit. Why uh, did you have that? Are you one of any kids or just one kid? Or I'm do you the have oldest of three. No, you have a sister. Sisters, I know yeah. your sister. Well, Catherine's kicking ass. She's up in Toronto and she's writing, directing, and starring in a show called Working Moms. It just got nominated for an international Emmy. And Where is she doing it? Third season up in Toronto, shooting for CBC. And, Fucking A. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And, uh, and she used my, to uh, do Hollywood Babylon with Ralph Garman. Yeah, she's... She's phenomenally funny, yeah, yeah, uh, and is a uh, is the performer of the family, and came out of the Groundlings, and yeah, she's awesome. And then, so wait, there's her, you. I got a little sister who is she got married right out of like while in college, and uh, is living down in San Diego, and she's funny. She's probably the funniest of the three of us. She's really cynical. So why were you looking for a place to fit in? Because you had you were surrounded by. I don't know. I, I you just, were the only uh, boy. Uh, I just felt like a. I don't know. I, I just felt like a weirdo or you something. You grew up out here? Yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles, grew up in Beverly Hills. and um, Were you living in Beverly Hills when Beverly Hills 90210 happened? Oh, yeah. Did you watch it and be like, that's just like us or this is nothing <laughs> like us? <laughs> it, it felt nothing like my life because I never, I literally never, I mean, I was an outsider. I mean, I was a real film nerd. I didn't go to, I went to one party in high school, like actually one and I spent my time either in movie theaters or watching laser discs or in uh, uh, in the in the video room at high school, like making short films. Um, and dad, uh, of course, we mentioned some of the movies before. But was that an influence? Were you like, oh, shit, there's the family business? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it terrified me. You know, I mean, why? why? Well, why go into a business where the presumption is you know, that spoiled brat probably has an alcohol drug problem and has no talent. And like either, like I'm aware, like I'm not an idiot. Like I knew what the presumption would be. And then I thought I'll either fail in the spotlight 
or succeed, but never, you know, step out of his shadow. And how did it work out then for you? I, so I went to college first. I moved no, but out. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like, that was the old fear. Yeah. By the time you do thank you for smoking, which I remember is hitting and hitting fucking hard. Yeah. Like right out the gate, people are like, holy shit, forced to be reckoned with. And nobody was saying like fucking spoiled brat, son of a guy who made movies. You have you since put all that away or do you sit in a therapy session sometimes and still be like, man, this still haunts me? I mean, I. I still presume if I get into a conversation with a film head, mm -hmm. my presumption is that they still think of me as someone who like daddy gave him his career like that. That's going I don't on think any of that is not. And, and I'm not saying I got my ear to the ground and shit, but like I'm fairly aware of public opinion that i spend a lot of time on the internet <laughs> i've never seen that expressed about you i think that's your oh yeah but that's how we all fear, are right yes. i mean that's like i mean i'm not saying it's fair or it's true it's just that's what's in the back of my head yeah. that's my fear that's and your so, boogeyman but and, i don't and, think it's the case and i honestly feel like like it's if that's what drives you then it's like in aliens when he's like you know ease up ripley you're grinding metal <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. they've just cleared the place and <laughs> yeah, 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 she's exactly. fucking like gotten them out of jeopardy <laughs> like if that drove you that had to be put away with the first movie no way no no but you need the fuel i mean like uh you need the fuel uh, and i think um uh the fear the anger uh all that shit helps drive you and i don't want the tank to be empty and uh I know it's a messed up thing to say. I don't think, I don't think storytelling comes from happiness. You know, it's true. I, 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 well, yeah, it's true. it's a uh, great storytelling doesn't come from happiness. No, so you know, whatever anxiety anxiety I have, you know, whatever shit I feel guilty for, uh, I was born really lucky. I was born about as lucky as you can as you can be, and and Do, uh, I know you've done your origins, your family's origins before, but you just did a. We just talked about it before we went, but uh, your dad, I, I just assumed your dad was born here, but your dad came here. Yeah. At, dur before, during, after? My dad was born as unlucky as you can be. My, dad, <laughs> my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. My father was born uh, in uh, in Czechoslovakia, uh, a baby boomer, um, and lived, you know, amongst anti-Semitism, and they, they escaped, and uh and literally they they hired a boat captain to pull up the floorboards on a boat and they hid in the, the 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 hull of a boat and finally made it to Toronto where they didn't speak English and they learned English and my father you know figured it out and kind of made a life for himself my grandfather uh had a dry cleaner and then worked at a car wash and um uh, managed the car wash and my father uh you know ended up becoming a starting a film club at college and it all begins there. Yeah, it all it all begins there. But I mean, he he's a self starter and, and created everything for myself. I I you know was born the the child of two, uh, into a happy marriage that never having to think about where the next meal was going to come from. Uh, to a father and mother who were incredibly supportive and uh and really wanted the best for me and encouraged my storytelling career. And yeah, I I've been lucky every step of the way. Um, but it's not like you pissed it away or fucking like it didn't even sound like you had a rebellious period this is a very strange therapy session we're having right now <laughs> i mean don't get but no i feel very lucky i'm thrilled that i get to tell stories and i i probably just carry a guilt for the things that i was given and did not earn myself
The well, let's. Are, there's precedent in this business, so you're not the first son of a filmmaker. No, or, but fuck them all. Really, I mean, <laughs> all, those, all, <laughs> all those assholes who never worked for anything. Um, yeah, I mean, look, and, and but I mean, there's like there's something to be said for like family business. Like at the end of the day, you're you. I I I still don't think of. Your dad is the bridge. You seem to. Well, no, I just, I, I'm just aware of it. You I'm make aware such of it I, different movies than know, your dad. And, and I don't and even I mean that in different. a, in a raise you to lower him or vice versa, but like they're apples and fucking oranges. I was definitely chasing something different. And, and there was a moment, there was a moment where I went from a kid watching only blockbusters to, I discover you, I discover Quentin, I discover Alexander Payne, PTA, uh, uh, what Rodriguez was doing. That's it, what your career looks more like. Well, I mean, you were the people that I was chasing. It and, fits in that whole world of like, and you are, isn't it weird to now be one of those names? I, I don't feel, I mean, I don't, I genuinely don't feel like I'm one of those names. You're a name who. I feel like I get to play in that game though. And that but is But people really know exciting. your name as well. Like there's a. In terms of, and again, like the, the, all are welcome. Come on, come rush over, children. All are <laughs> welcome into the light. Anyone can be a director, but like when you suddenly also get into like the rarefied world of you've written the things that you've directed as well, right. um, and you've made movies that have become big earners and blockbusters can based on their budgets yeah but th that kind of fucks up your career too because then, then people well i think i think when juno and up in the air made as much uh money as they did and and up in the air makes a little more sense because like yeah it's george clooney but yeah, juno yeah. was the fucking well that's shock. just weird but that's one of those and things wonderful. you can't i mean you but can't understand that why puts you in the now. but that's what puts you in the everyone knows your name category yeah but then there's this presumption that like oh these little movies make a lot of money it's like wait 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 that's an accident right uh so when young adult and tully uh make the kind of money that they're maybe supposed to make right. uh where they are the actual kind of indie films that appeal to the people that they do <coughs> uh that uh then it kind of puts them in strange reflection of Juno, even though I'm just as proud of those films. But uh, look, I got to play those film festivals. Is I get Tully to... the movie that's out now? Tully came out six months ago. It's on the, the Oscar screeners. I have two Oscar screeners. Yeah. Uh, so Tully came out six months ago and Front Runner came out two weeks ago. You've had two movies come out in one year? It's a fucked up year. It's it's crazy. Why, uh, what are you overcompensating for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, the guilt and the shame that I've been explaining since I walked in the door. I now get to put you in even a rarer fucking category uh, of director. Please don't. It's, I honestly it's, can't it's, think of many who've done two feature films in one a, year. It is a matter of timing. It really was a function of One Tully. is the Charlize Theron one. Yeah. And Tully was supposed to come out uh, at the end of last year and focus repositioned it for mother's day okay and because of that it ended up coming out this year so i i it's not as though i were you know juggling you know two you know franchises like right. spielberg with you know schindler's and jurassic park i look we made this He's beautiful the, little film motherfucker you know the only other day. one you you probably looked it up on google like who's the other director no but you had... and i know these like the, the, the it's two, true spielberg the two did have two fucking movies him and uh, soderbergh with uh traffic and aaron brockovich that was, yes that was the other poll but um but look, Tully was just come out last year. It got pushed till uh, Mother's Day. 
And in the meantime, we had been making The Front Runner, right. uh, which uh, I'm extraordinarily proud of. And you were very kind to call, you know, describe it the way you did, although it, it has kind of come and gone in a heartbeat. It's kind of a crazy experience. That What like, do you mean? It's out, it's out of theaters. I mean, it like came into theaters, left theaters. and uh, Well, I mean, you're it, talking to the guy who made Yoga Hoser, so I understand that a, experience. Well, it's but, a tricky it's a tricky. But it's also awards you know? season, and it's like that – it ain't over till it's over. I don't know. This one's kind of done, and it's kind of been a weird experience, frankly. Who uh, put it out? Uh, Sony put it out, and they and they did a lot of the right things. I think it hit some wrong. Uh, it hit the ears of journalists, uh, uh, and it and it offended some journalists in ways that I don't. I didn't quite understand until I heard them talk about it. And is that right? Yeah. Look, what I mean, is the what's the complaint that you? I think here's the thing. I went into the front runner. How eye. old were you when that happened in real life? Were you alive yet? I was like 10. I wanted to make a movie with 20 main characters, no heroes, no villains. Right. Let's look at a scandal. and It's Altman-esque. If I may jump in real yeah, quick. Yeah, totally. Get a chance to see the front runner. He, he's, he's taking all your hope away from you by going like, it's gone. It's over. It's done. <laughs> but, you'll be able to see it. I mean, like it's going to be available. Yeah, uh, soon you'll be able to get your hands on and, it somewhere. And look, it's actually a good movie. Like, it's I'm a not fantastic movie. There. It plays like an Altman movie. In the beginning, I sat there. It reminded me of both the candidate, the player you're opening. Felt like like that. Like, oh, my God, we're in that world. Yeah, and it's sustained well, all throughout. Yeah. What did you look at when you went into the movie? Well, the first film's Richie. I mean, it's it's the candidate. It's Michael Richie. I mean, it is Michael like, Richie. That's the guy. And I'm a huge Michael Richie fan. Let's stop and blow Michael Richie for a moment. Michael Richie, um, one of the great unsung. Absolutely. Uh, heroes of our game. Yeah. And also a person who I owe a lot of my career to because it was his work that not only made me want to be a filmmaker, in weird ways, but shape the individual that I am today. Really? The ethos by which I've lived a life and salved wounds that might have, you know, crippled the fucking lesser people. I was six years old when the Bad News Bears came out. Yeah. So all that was right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only did that movie teach me that, like, we lose more than we <laughs> and and that was so such an important fucking lesson like you know we were told from a young age like you you don't always fucking win these kids were lucky like yeah, yeah, a yeah. bunch of accidents happened to these yeah, fucking yeah. kids but like you know at the end of the day they didn't win and that's fine because what an adventure they went on right. and they stayed true to themselves and shit like that and then the next generation was the t-ball generation where it's just like everyone gets a trophy right so not only did that movie shape who i was where like you know when yoga hosers happens uh you know you go well like you what a season you had tanner <laughs> you know what i'm saying like yeah. we'll see we'll yeah. get you next year yeah. like you go back to the fucking drawing board and stuff it can't all be huge wins and stuff but also that that movie is spellbindingly made yeah in terms of he's it, a killer filmmaker oh my god we, it's he made movies forget. that look like documentaries yeah and he you made you forget he was working with downhill racer actors. yes downhill racer candidate and smile uh oh, were smile. this killer trilogy that he opened his career with mm. that were a trilogy on the concept of winning and what does it matter why do we put you know where do we factor the idea of winning in our lives mm -hmm. i'm about to blow your mind go i have a michael ritchie tattoo what that's the poster from Downhill Racer. <laughs> you guys can't see it because uh, we're on a podcast, but my fucking slack jaw would dictate 
That is a gorgeous tattoo. Yeah, it's not bad, right? Um, Dude, I thought I was a Michael Ritchie fan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a Fletch tattoo. Holy Christ. Yeah, are you no, serious? No, I mean, he's, when did you get he's it? He's sick. I've had this for a few years. I don't know. Uh, I, I waited a long time to get my first tattoo. But uh, Do you think your dad is ever like, you know, the poster for Ghostbusters? <laughs> <laughs> How about even meatballs, for oh Christ's sakes? Uh, On the back of your knee, son? <laughs> um, that is fucking breathtaking and, and what a testimony to a, a film nerd that you are <laughs> he's no he's he's a genuine badass and he makes actual bold decisions he makes bold editing decisions his cutting is crazy um his ability to take a main character and make them genuinely unlikable not in a kind of bs way but like in an actual way mm. uh what he did with redford i think is some of redford's best work absolutely and and it was very much the north star for the front runner it was like that is the movie. Everyone who works on this movie has the to candidate. watch. Yeah. Has to watch the candidate, and um, uh, and that's what we were trying to echo. Uh, the incredibly true adventures of the Texas cheerleader murdering mom. Remember, he did that. Yeah, as well yeah, I know. For that's HBO. right. That's one of the last ones. One of the last ones that he did, and it was. It's this weird, like now, like it seems weird, but mixed media movie where some of it was shot on like VHS mm-hmm. or high eight or not not high eight they didn't even have that then and then some of it is filmed so mm-hmm. the documentary stuff looks like a tv documentary well he's i mean even look at like the opening title sequence on downhill racer and where the freeze frames are happening this is a guy who's constantly thinking about medium in the same way that like soderbergh is like he's thinking about format in medium and style and how that all plays out in a way that so much filmmaking is not thoughtful filmmaking so much filmmaking is just like I got to process that. Say it again, slow. So much filmmaking is not thoughtful filmmaking. Okay, like like it's just um, tell the story in the way that you know you would ordinarily story tell the story. You're not thinking about format. You're not thinking about um, you're not thinking about all the choices that are available to you as a director. And with Richie, you see him making choices now. You may agree with them. You may dislike them. They may feel weird and they may feel profound, but there is thoughtful storytelling happening all the time. Mm. And I feel the same with Soderbergh. Soderbergh, sometimes genius, sometimes like, what the the hell are you doing? (laughs) You know, but he is, he's swinging for the fences. He is trying, he is being thoughtful, um, uh, whether it's a big, small film, tiny film. uh, And I, I respect that. That gets my blood going. Are you going to write the Richie book one day? <laughs> I I had no intentions to. Uh, You've got the tattoo, bro. No, no. You I, can speak eloquently to the man's career. Uh, you know, I think there's a part of any director that fears the idea of all the work being for naught and being forgotten. Yes. And you want to hope that it goes deeper than... And there was Scorsese and then there was Spielberg and then, mm. I don't know, some films that don't exist anymore. Right. And and it is a scary thing when you look at a guy like Richie. So, like, we made this movie, make the front runner, mm. and every person uh, who reviews it is like, oh, there's obviously Altman-esque choices in the uh, the shooting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a lovely compliment. Right. But then there's this terrifying thought that goes, okay – but what we were watching is Michael Ritchie. And do you still remember Michael Ritchie? And are you talking about him? And I referenced the candidate and threw it under Altman. Mm-hmm. And I am a Ritchie advocate. You're an actual Ritchie advocate. You know what I'm like, saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so yeah. It's, yeah. Or Smile. Like, Smile is a film that kind of seemingly is forgotten and is brilliant. 
And it still works today as well. A hundred percent. I mean, well, because he's talking about all things we're talking about today. I mean, this is what we're talking about today, which is what does it mean to be a winner? Why do we want to win so badly? What do we do to win? And he did it in the venues in his films of sports, politics, and a beauty pageant. Mm. It's like this perfect trilogy. Um, All right. So that's what you're having everybody watch, uh, candidate. (laughs) Yeah. Before you head into yours. Yeah. When... Did you write this? I co-wrote this with a guy named Matt By, who's a New York Times journalist, wrote the book on heart, um, covered five presidencies, and a guy named Jay Carson, who was the press secretary for Hillary Clinton, Tom Daschle, Howard Dean. So it's a movie. So a couple of movie slackers. Exactly. A movie, movie written, with. though, on the shoulders of all this experience. And we created this script that was just tons of overlapping dialogue, tons of overlapping visuals, with the the idea being... If the whole question the movie is asking is what is relevant, mm-hmm. we're going to force the audience at every given moment to make a decision. What do you want to listen to? Right. Because there's more information coming at you than you could possibly take in. So we're purposely overloading you and like literally like multiple conversations in your ears at the same time. So you have to make this decision. What's important to you? What's relevant? Mm. Uh, and it was built on kind of all their experiences. All right, man, this podcast being brought to you by Squarespace, providing the tools that help people turn their passions into a business with a customizable e-commerce website, man. From internationally recognized brands to your favorite local shop, Squarespace is trusted by hundreds of thousands of savvy shop owners around the world, man. You know I've talked about this many times. With Squarespace, I can design a site that looks professionally designed regardless of my skill level. No coding required, man. I don't know how to enter a a zero or one. Don't matter, man. They make it easy for your old Squarespace with intuitive and easy-to-use tools, man. Get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial site uh, today. Check out at squarespace.com slash SMOD, S-M-O-D, and make sure to use the offer code SMOD, S-M-O-D, and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase, man. If you don't have a website yet, what are you waiting for? You could sell things from it. You just showcase your life on it and stuff. Greatest gift you could give anybody, man, is the gift of a website. I believe that wholeheartedly. Website changed my fucking life. Viewskew.com, smodcast.com, powerful domain names, man. Get your own. Go to squarespace.com slash smod and use the offer code SMOD and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase, man. Join us up here in the 21st century with a website, squarespace.com. The what now? I'm not. I'm not going to turn it into my therapy session. But how come I don't think like that? And I call myself a director, but like, see, you you're dying. Really though, that's hard for me to believe. I don't think like that at all. But you may be just pure, pure punk rock, and this is something that we've talked about. I don't is know if you, it's pure punk rock. No, twenty five years in, if you're still punk rock, I don't know if it works. I think you were a natural voice, and I think you're a natural storyteller. And when you sit down, but there's to write, a plan there. Like you've got a plan. Like I and just there's you more some scared thought to it. No, <laughs> but like it's like that's attention. To detail, like there's a, a thought behind it. It's I think not you just are like, bravely heading into battle, and I am sitting there still at the back, going, "Well, maybe if we come in from the left side." And we- <laughs> but if it's, I don't know if it's bravely heading into battle as much as like it just doesn't occur to me we could get killed each time. Like, <laughs> yeah, and but, then when it happens, yeah, I'm surprised. But, but I'm like, Iggy, why didn't they like this? <laughs> that's how Iggy Pop t- takes the takes the stage. Uh, I mean, I mean, honestly, when I think about uh, particularly the way I felt the first time I watched 
Clerks and mm. all the subsequent films, um, it was natural rock and roll coming mm. right from the stage. You're very sweet. No, that's just what it was. And I think there's a, why, a reason why it was infectious. There's a reason why it was a call to arms for storytellers across the country to be like, I want to do this. Right. Uh, because it was like listening to rock and roll, you know? And and that's that's So awesome different. to have that, to that, have something. You know what I'm saying? That like, is... A hundred percent. When true. did you feel safe in your career? When did it happen? I have you were like, never felt safe in my career from you don't feel, moment. You, not, not even from, like after Juno, you don't go like, all right, I'm safe. Like there, I'm in. I'm in the book. I'll. I will admit this, and it's a gross thing to admit. It's not. No, no, no. I, it will be. Uh, <laughs> um, I remember the moments after Juno and up in the air when people are like, "You're a genius," and I believed them, and then it only took. <laughs> Like a film or two of failure to go, oh, wait, I'm not. They were blowing smoke up my ass. Fuck. <laughs> I like to think of it <laughs> because as somebody who was once called the voice of a generation, I like to think of it as like whoever said it meant it. <laughs> and then whoever uh, counters it, oh, they mean it too. And yeah. somewhere the truth lies in between. Uh, look, uh, I... <laughs> I love doing this job. I think I'm pretty good at it. But look, there's a moment where you believe your own hype. And then there's a moment where, you know, the ego is popped and you're brought back to, you know, to the ground. And that's good. Where was the ego popped then? Oh, uh, uh, Labor Day and Men, Women and Children. It was a mutual uh, uh, hit. So, but not making the movie. No, making them was lovely. I've enjoyed making every movie. Right. That's I, never the problem. Yeah, it's I make the movies with great people and I get to make them and I get to work with like incredible actors you mm -hmm. know and watch them work in real time no it's after the fact when people go well, why would why would you make that you know? <laughs> who's and, ever said that oh like plenty i mean i i've, I've definitely read that i've and got that I've, I've literally got that like on the last one where people are just like why did he do this one review said that it was tantamount to like child abuse <laughs> 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 to put my kid in the movie but like but by the way but I also got that after Young Adult. And Young Adult's a film that has now since been readopted, and people think it's cool and people enjoy it. And a lot of people would say, okay, that's my best film. So uh, time changes stuff. I don't think anyone's coming around on Labor Day. I think that one, that one, that one will probably stay in the grave. But, uh, <laughs> but, but. That's the Sandler? Uh, no, 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 no. That was Men, Women, and Children. Uh, what is Labor, Labor Day? Day was with uh, Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin, and uh, you may have not seen it. It's totally cool. What is the story? It's like a melodrama, and it's uh, about um, a woman or a child, and they pick up uh, an yes, escape convict. Yes, I say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we worked really hard on it. I think it's beautifully it shot. It came out like three years ago? Uh, five, six years but it, it. I remember that it represent It represents great work by all the people who worked on it my right. dp my production designer my cost they all worked at the top of their game well, what was the reaction i think the reaction was like why are you telling this story it seems kind of <laughs> sappy and uh that's the i love the book the book made me cry i love making it um every once in a while um particularly uh guys who grew up with a single mom really it really has an impact on them they feel a, a kinship with the film right um my dad made a really interesting point after the fact and he said uh he goes i think i realize what's wrong with the film i said tell me and he goes it's it's not about kate winslet and josh brolin it's about the kid 
And everyone goes in thinking, oh, it's Kate Winslet and Josh Brolin. That's why I'm watching a movie about it. It's actually a movie about the kid. And that, that disconnect really affects the watchability of the movie. Huh. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But um, so you, when you went in, so wait, that's the movie where you felt like, oh, shit, man. They fucking jumped off the bandwagon. Or yeah. And it felt like, oh, I lost my fastball, you know? And uh, does that happen can that happen can you lose your fastball in sports i don't follow sports oh yeah can I mean, well, you can lose control of the fa- like if you're a pitcher there's times when you are placing the ball exactly where you want if you're playing hockey there's days where you could put the puck wherever right. the fuck you want and then there's days where it's like why can't i get the puck to do what i want it to do right you know thank uh, you for going to an analogy that I was, you saw my face going uh, black in baseball and you're like <laughs> no, hockey. But like sometimes you're like top corner easy yes. like anytime i want it like, and other roll. times you're like why I literally I'm why can't I do what I want with the right. puck? So, uh, but you didn't feel that when you were making the movie. No, it, no, you know when you're making a movie, you think you're Terrence Malick, and then <laughs> you get to the end, you're like, oh. But, it, but when you're making the movie, you are Terrence Malick. When he's making a movie, he's Terrence Malick. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but so it smells like to me that you did what you were supposed to do, and just like. You know, like this is this is the unfortunate part of longevity of this job. <laughs> this job is great, and I, yeah. su- I I recommend it to anybody who wants to give it a shot. But it's like anything in life, longevity is the enemy. The longer you stick around, the longer it gives people time to be like, oh, they're not so fucking great. Like, oh no! If I had died right after up in the air. Oh, my God. You're talking I to a dude who had a heart attack <laughs> this year. And I was like, the only reason I wanted to live is that I was like, if I'm going out on yoga hosers, my legacy is fucked. I got to <laughs> I got to claw my way out of the grave, get one more good one out there that people <laughs> like. And I like yoga hosers. That's the thing. It's like, even though a bunch of people shit in the movie's mouth, I'm still like, like, I, you know, number one, I wish my dad was alive. Number two, I wish he was smart enough to have a conversation with me about, like, you know what was wrong with the Ogozers? But what I would have told my dad is, like, nothing. I made the exact fucking movie I wanted to. Right. And, you know, when people are like, it fucking blows. Mm-hmm. Then I'm like, oh, well, then my ideas blow because that is, that was right. it. Like, I that wasn't compromised. That wasn't like... Eh, I had something loftier in mind. I'm like, no, that is the exact monster that I wanted to build. And then, you know, sometimes you're lucky because right. that's what I do is every time. And I suspect you do the same thing because I never heard a story where you're like, we were fucked and we changed half of the movie. Right, right, right. So you make and I make exactly what we want to make. And then there were times in our career where the things we've not made. What people wanted. <laughs> yes. There are times where we've been like and we started our careers the best way possible mm-hmm. breathing rarefied air where people are like i like the fucking kool-aid you're mixing up yeah, yeah give yeah. me a few more glasses of that and then all of a sudden you're selling hot toddies at the beach and yes. they're like why i'm at the beach why yes. this, why are you serving this yes <laughs> sometimes you're just out of step it's not it has nothing to do with you you've changed nothing about in fact you've only gotten better and more adept at the job with more practice it only stands to reason that you're getting technically better at everything you do well, for that's a living the weird thing I mean, sometimes it does feel like oh i'm i'm a much more skillful filmmaker now yes. like i look at thank you for smoking and i say you do see the filmmaking flaws here like i get that you <laughs> like the song i can sing it so much better now uh, you heard me say the same <laughs> thing and you're like no way man like that fucking thing is, we were just talking about yeah. you're like that's just perfect don't you don't touch that it's like a punk rock song no but then every I filmmaker looks that. at that and goes mm. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, I could do better now. But 
but that's technical not proficiency has nothing yeah, to do with true. it. It's true. It's it's there's nothing you could do but do the exact same thing you've been doing your whole career because that's why they noticed you in the first place, right? Not because of your dad, because of fucking your movies, because <laughs> of the movies you made, and. I feel like life is long. I think longevity is the enemy in this business, particularly. It's 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 odd because it's what we all dream about. You only about. say that because you just survived a heart attack. It's true. <laughs> um, it's it's what we all dream about. Like we all want. If you live died, forever. you wouldn't be saying that. That's true. I'd have different points of view on that. <laughs> uh, we all want that. We all want to live forever. We want our careers to go on forever. We want the you know because we consider like only the good moments and go like, of course, I want to extrapolate this. But life is long and it's full of boring fucking moments and bad fucking moments and shit like that. And there are times where you're like, oh, fucking, why do I want this to go on? But you need to remember, just like in life, like with the career, that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, which are telling the stories the best way you can. And I I don't think you ever fucking slack doing the exact thing you want to do. If they respond to it correctly. And, it, you know, it doesn't even have to do with how it's marketed or how it's made or there's a, a gazillion fucking factors. And think about it. The world of difference between when you started your career mm-hmm. and where we live now, where we're drowning yeah. in fucking content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was easier to stand out when I was a kid. Now, I, you know, fuck. You, you, there are shows that go on Netflix. I, I was clicking around one day and I saw she's got to have it, the series. Mm-hmm. And I f- almost fell off the bed where I'm like. No, this can't fucking be. And not only did it exist, he did it. Spike Lee did it himself. Yeah. And I was like, how the fuck am I just hearing about this for the first time now? Like, this should be the biggest news in the world. Because if if I did a clerk's fucking series, you better believe that's all the world would hear about. There's so much content. You people are fucking drowning in it and stuff. So earlier in my career it was easier to distinguish yourself now it's just like holy shit catch yeah. up and yeah. it's not just movies now it's streaming and you've worked in that field as well you've had like entertainment what was the show that you had or had yeah, yeah, casual on hulu on yeah. hulu so you know i mean you're part of the problem bitch there's too much content out there <laughs> so it becomes harder for us to dis- distinguish ourselves and our work but you have done everything correctly you keep doing you're being way too nice that's not nice that's fucking true i don't want you to be one of these cats that's like i know you got fuel for the tank but like you can't go like oh you know uh, fuck they didn't like it as much as this one like it doesn't mean that your job has changed i keep directing i I, yes best piece of advice i ever got came (laughs) from you via your dad in this very house and i have used it and i've spread that whenever i spread it i always credit you and credit your dad where it came from uh i will tell the story here your dad you you fucking tell it he's your dad and it's your advice go Uh, i mean uh i'm not even sure how much of a story there is to it but uh just a moment but but he said uh uh his only regret in life was the times when he didn't direct films Mm -hmm. uh and it's easy to get depressed and try to figure out why something succeeded and why something didn't but Mm -hmm. the truth is uh, you can go into something thinking this is going to be the greatest thing on earth. It's going to light the world on fire. And then, you know, it doesn't do much. And then you do this thing, you know, for whatever reason, you didn't think much of it. And it just captures everyone's imagination. You'll never be able to control that. All you can control is your output. So just keep telling stories. Keep, keep making, making movies. I, the only ones you regrets are the ones you didn't make. In the same way that people, you know, always say, like, only, you know, you know, the things I regret are the, you know, the chances I didn't, they didn't take. take. Uh, 
Uh, in his case, he's coming off of Ghostbusters, and so and I remember right after Ghostbusters was like legal eagles, yeah, because I was you know fucking I was a I was not a film person, but I was a movie buff. Yeah. I lived for movies and stuff, so of course whatever he did, I was going to next. Yeah, and MTV like pumped the shit out of it and stuff because yeah, yeah. it was like this is a guy from fucking Ghostbusters, and it had Robert Redford, Redford yeah. you know, and, and so it, it I could see. You come to Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters cracks the earth in twain. Yeah. You know, naturally, there's a sequel. Like, Mm -hmm. so that you're thinking about that. But then you're always looking for Ghostbusters. Yeah. And, you know, there's that's that gun shyness seems to be the only regret that he's got across his career that he wasn't like, fuck it, I should just keep making shit. Yeah, he took a beat. Uh, but then he found, and then he found Twins, and then it kind of kind of oh. uh, got back in the horse. And it was yes, like Twins yes. and Kindergarten Cop and Dave. And uh, 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 I mean, just had so much more success. That's why the career advice makes sense coming from that guy. He knows yeah, where keep, he exactly. fucking speaks. He's, uh, and look, that's what we're doing here. You know? Uh, I, I try to always just also remember... Um, I, the amount of times I just never thought anyone would uh, give me the chance to direct or let me direct or want me to direct. Right. Um, and uh, and the idea that I could tell stories just is the most radical thing. To, and within this calendar year, you have two movies uh, that come out, both of which you're very shy about it, but they are awards fucking movies. Um, she just got some... Yeah, Charlie's got nominated for Golden Globe. I'm really happy for yes. her. It's really, you know, it's a thrill. No, what she did in that movie is insane. And watching her do it was what is the movie? It's called Intully. Tully. Yeah, uh, Intully. You know, we're doing a movie about postpartum depression. Uh, it's a comedy, uh, <laughs> but it uh, is this uh, Diablo. Yeah, script? Diablo wrote it. But it is a film where you think you're watching one movie and in the final moments you realize you've been watching a whole different movie the entire time. And it's a remarkable screenplay that Diablo crushed. And what not only Charlize did, but Mackenzie Davis uh, and uh, Mark Duplass and Ron Livingston, they're all incredible in the film. Mm. And I, I was very much in the passenger seat watching brilliant people do brilliant work on that mm. film. Yeah, it's the truth. And, uh, and, and Charlize who I consider kind of a partner in crime, so I'm going to make a lot of movies with, hopefully. Because you've life. made Young Adult. Young Adult and Tully, uh, and and hopefully many more. I mean, she's she's one of my closest friends that uh, that have come. Like, you that know, work in this business. Yeah, well, I mean, you know how it happens. Like, uh, you make a movie and often, like, you're, it feels like you're best friends. And then, like, you rap and you... And that's it. You Camp's see, over. Yeah, and you see, you know, it, it is like summer camp because you run into each other a year later and you're like, oh, and you have that weird... While it's going on, it's the most important thing that has ever fucking happened to yeah, you in your life. you're sharing crazy when it ends, things, personal things. You're emotional about the ending. Yeah. There's like, we'll never forget this time. Yeah. It's very much like Cam. Yeah. It's, well, this whole fucking business, um, getting paid to entertain people if you're lucky, it's just extended adolescence. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just get to go to camp over and over right. again. For those of us who never got to go to camp in the first place, <laughs> I love this business. I grew up watching meatballs. <laughs> I now live meatballs as right. a living, you know, <laughs> working seasonally. But she and I stayed close. She She's one of the rare people that where we just had the same exact sense of humor. She has this delightfully dark sense of humor, and she's so sharp and Crazy always thinking as a storyteller. You know, uh, she produces that show Mindhunter with David Fincher and, like, goes toe-to-toe with him. And she's just a – The has, one on Netflix. Uh, yeah, she has a magnificent brain. And uh, for, for storytelling, for humor, uh, for shooting – and 
and just loves it and gets it and is fearless. I, yeah. I she's Golden Globe nominated for the flick. Yeah, and she's killer in it. I mean, it's one of her best performances. I, I, I'm not saying that selfishly. I'm saying that selfishly. She is killer <laughs> in the movie. Um, all right. That's the first movie that came out. The movie that's also uh, kind of out. Out. Now, let's just say it's out because it is. <laughs> uh, Front Runner. That has little known Hugh Jackman in it. Yeah. What is that dude like to work with? Hugh I've Jackman. met him. He's a nice guy. But what's he like with on set as a, as a storyteller? One, the most decent human being working in this business. Agreed. Every Friday on the way to set, he stops at like a grocery store, picks up 200 scratcher tickets, and then spends the day going one crew person after the next, handing them out one by one, shaking their hand, My kind of thanking guy. them for their work, saying good luck this week. My kind of guy. Hardest working actor I've ever met. Easy. Easy. The amount of research he does, the amount of prep work he does. One of the things he said to me when I first met him was, uh, the only way I can prevent myself from being nervous is doing so much work that I feel like I just, there's, there's nothing more I could have done. And that is what he does. He kind of leaves it all out there. He, he knew everything. He knew more about Hart than I did. He like had five books measuring this high on the history of the guy. Uh, there's a scene where he has to throw an axe and hit a bullseye. He was in axe throwing training before I, like, I even That's had to true. mention it. That, he did throw the axe? Take one. You shitting me? No, easy. Like just. I like, assumed digital. I assumed we would have to. Do it. I assumed <laughs> be some wire works that I don't know how right. these things work. I was like, how did Sam Raimi do the Evil Dead stuff? You know, and right. he's like, he just goes into training and does it. Right. And we start making bets on the movies, like, oh, what take and take one. Wow. Um, and loves the cast, loves the crew. One of the guys in the cast is a stand-up. He's going up one night in uh, Atlanta where we're shooting. Bill Burr? Uh, no. Uh, well, yes, Bill Burr clearly is a stand-up. But like, <laughs> no, but Mike Lawrence, a guy who's like, you know, yeah, like yeah. 20th build in the movie, yeah. really funny dude. And um, he's going up, and some of the cast is like, yeah, let's go tell him. I tell Hugh, hey, it's 9 o'clock at this place. Uh, it's the only thing. I don't text him anything. We get there at 9 o'clock. He's already there, has a table for everybody. It's class. He's the he's guy. He's doing it right. He's doing it the right. And he's, you know, he has he does this insane charity work. He's got this coffee company he created to give money back to the coffee growers or all his whole his in, uh, all his profits go back to the to the farmers. I mean, he's, he's heart of gold. He's got a, he just announced uh, a tour. It's crazy. Yeah, like this tour of him singing and dancing. He's a song and dance man and stuff, but he's going yeah. out there and singing all of the Greatest Showman songs as yeah, well as and some Les Mis stuff. And, and Les Mis yeah, as well. He, he texted me once a video of him tap dancing on stairs. And I was like, what is this for? And he goes, I just wanted to see if I could do it. <laughs> I mean, he's it's, next level. Like, I, I like being Kevin Smith a lot, but it seems like being Hugh Jackman from time to time might be a nice alternative. But he's also doing the right thing. Yes. Like, okay, you think about like how fortunate you and I are. Yes. And then like, what do I do late at night? I play Fortnite late at night. Like, I'm, like, like, I'm not bettering myself as a human being. Right. I'm literally playing Fortnite for hours. He is tap dancing on stairs. Right. I just have to. I just have to uh, tell myself, like, yeah, well, if I was that rich, I'd tap dance at night too. Like something to discern the difference between <laughs> yeah, us. But really, he just so, cares dude. more. He, he's just more interested. He he Such wants to guy. devour life, and he's great. So he makes. A movie like this. So the whole idea, the whole shooting process of the front runner was, again, everyone is empowered. Mm -hmm. Everyone is mic'd. All mics are up. My mixer. Who's your mixer? Steve Morrow is genius. Was, yeah, did, this is an unsung position oh on a movie, God. period. 
But he when you're doing what Jason La La did, Land. did he really? Oh, he's he's a in, in one of his first films was Thank You for Smoking. I've known him since day one. Holy crap! He's a badass. One of my best friends. Like I love. And the you're guy. a dialogue man. So uh, you, as you well know, a sound an, a sound guy is yeah. important as fuck. I will show you a video when we're done of him with 15 tracks open, his hands on the mixer like a piano player playing because he has three different conversations. Some are ad libbed, some are dialogue, and he's and the mix that you hear in the movie. Is what he did on set. Live mix. Yeah. You guys didn't add it later on. Or no. And it's like crazy because he is giving you just enough of the important stuff and just enough of the innocuous stuff. And that only happens because a guy like Hugh Jackman is saying, yeah, I'll be the background today. Yeah. You need opposed, to be the lead today or the background today. Right. As opposed to like, well, we're shooting my scenes first. Right. Yeah. That's kind of generous as a, as a performer right there. Yeah. With the amount of cast, the amount of stuff to like shoot. Uh, from the opening too, the opening frames of this movie they do that i, I noticed the sound mix. that's why i went player because i'm like oh shit like there's about 19 conversations so, going on but you're right that's the candidate so that's the thing and i think if you know hugh jackman's in the movie you presume he's the hero and if he's the hero you're kind of looking to figure out who's the villain and this is a movie where actually there are no heroes and villains and i think there was a misinterpretation on the film because it really is a movie where we're pushing the audience to figure it out for themselves mm. it's like these scandals are tricky and gary hart is an crazy litmus test for what flaws you're willing to put up with in our leaders which is a question that has never been more important than right now mm. and and that's that's why we made it so did you the know you were making it before the election or yes this? we wrote it during the obama administration is that right oh yeah i mean we wrote this film with the presumed presumption that this would be ironic and that there would be a different president <laughs> and then all of a sudden you know we're making this movie and even when we're making it it's it's early after the election and we're thinking oh it won't get worse right. and it just gets worse like week by week to the point where the movie's coming out and like jim acosta from cnn's like getting his like credentials taken away and the kavanaugh hearings are happening and the midterms are happening you're like oh my god at least you're making a, a political movie that's period you know what i'm saying <laughs> i guess i so. feel bad for the cats working on veep how oh, do yeah, you where they're like how do you make it funny anymore how do you fucking possibly yeah. find a political angle that won't be like what won't people have people go like well that's already happened right <laughs> that happened no, last week i get it and what um did gary hart uh were you was he around involved was he yay or? uh he well he wasn't involved in that like he didn't read the script none right. of the participants were allowed to read the script we did not connect any of the actors with the people playing them except for hugh and gary who met uh so there was this kind of like church and state line mm. uh but when it was done i flew to denver to show him and the campaign staff the movie i brought the film to donna rice i showed her the film i brought the film to tom fiedler from the miami herald showed him the film uh these screenings were absolutely you know terrifying for me for a guy it's not just like oh we made a movie it's You're your life like, yeah it's your yeah. life um, what was the weirdest reaction you got from somebody whose life you depicted? Um, you know, it's interesting. Donna Rice, uh, who... the name for my childhood, like <laughs> I, as I was watching the movie, cause they don't say her name right away. Yeah. When I was sitting there going, I'm pretty sure this is Donna Rice. And then as soon yeah. as they said it, I was like, Oh my God, I'm right back. Yeah. I mean, there's a woman whose life was basically taken away from her. Yeah. It was just kind of ripped out of her hands. Uh, and, uh, and she had to kind of fight to get her life back over decades. Uh, and and the movie has a ton of empathy for her. 
and and really treats her as a human being and kind of speaks to kind of who she was at the time. Mm. And she was really moved by the movie. And she said something kind of crazy. She said that she didn't cry when it actually happened in real life. And when she saw the film, she started experiencing it through Sarah Paxton, the girl playing her. Mm-hmm. And she started crying for Sarah. So she's like Feeling having this emotional character and, and a di- reaction and a, to her own life. And a distance from it at the same time. Yeah. Wow, that's profound. Right? Um, if the idea is to find oneself through the art, what have you found over the last how many years you've been doing it? How long since? Uh, called like 12 years. Um it's a great question. You know what I found is that I'm trying to answer my own questions through movies. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I've got a couple answers, but I, 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 not much. I'm just generally growing up. Where, where uh, do you think um, you've finally gotten to the place of like, I don't care anymore? No, I care very too much. much. Oh, yeah, I care way too much. The, the box office, movies. the awards and I, I shit like that. I don't care about the box office so much. I mean, I want my, I want the people who invest money make in the movies money to back. make the money. I mean, I feel shitty when they lose money. Right. You know, this company, Braun, this Canadian company that financed Tully and the front runner, I think they're badasses for getting behind uh, a movie about postpartum depression mm-hmm. and a movie about Gary Hart. Um, and uh, they're not going to make their money back immediately on the front runner. And that, that, that's really upsetting. But for me personally, I want people to understand why I made the movie. Mm-hmm. And Tully, they really get it. Tully, it connected and people understand why I made it. Front Runner, I think there's kind of a uh, a, a missed perception on it. So You've had enough time in your career to realize that some people catch up to shit a minute later. Yeah. Like Mallrats was the first time I realized, oh, oh, it it's not over. Like, there are people like this movie. Ten, ten years. Why was it not that. immediate with Mallrats? Oh my god, not at all. I'm in a bubble on your career because I was just like I was such a part of the fan base. Mallrats. Uh, um, no, we made we, the budget was five million, and we, it made two and change at the box office. It it, it didn't outgross Clerks, and Clerks never played on more than fifty screens. So Mallrats was the first taste of like failure, like one year after over being overpraised for a full year and being told that like, oh my God. Wow. Yeah, it was strange. But 10 years in, Mallrats was but of all my jokes and shit. Like I made Mallrats and shit. Yeah. 10 years in, that's when all of a sudden people started. It was less about, I haven't seen that or, oh, that movie. And more about fucking love Mallrats. That's the movie most people come up to me and, and kind of talk about the most. Like that's the easiest Hey, it's you. Like I yeah. love Morris. What what movie has aged into? Oh, I wasn't wrong for you. Oh, young adult for sure. Oh, uh, like when 100%. it happened, you were like, "We're." I was when, wrong when it happened. It felt like a miss. It felt like well, particularly coming off of Juno and Up in the Air, where like was, was that a, the one right after? Yeah, it went. Thank you for smoking Juno up in the air, and it was <gasps> kind of like they're all great. And then there's uh, your Clerks, Morris, yeah, and Jason Amy, yeah, but exactly. they all did fucking very well. Uh, you all, they made money. All three of those movies too. All made money and all critically critically successful. And then Young Adult. Uh, there was this kind of real confusion on what that movie was. And particularly because people are very uncomfortable with an unlikable female hero. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then five years later, four years later, there was this like young adults, your coolest film. And then people just people suddenly got the shooting style. They really got Charlize's character. They just kind of got the whole thing the music like every part of it suddenly connected with people mm. um and like what diablo particularly was trying to do with that film suddenly hit people how many three with her scripts yeah three uh, so juno 
Young Adult, and then Tully. And then Tully. And then Tully, you know, came out six months ago. Uh, didn't light the world on fire box office wise, but it's just, I mean, critically really, uh, people really love the film critically. And um, there's, I, there's, a, I think, a genuine understanding of like what the idea was behind that film. Um, of course, I appreciate her work as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, um, I, I, I am a big figure. I like to spend a lot of time in social media and mm-hmm. probably has helped prolong my career in moments when movies have failed me or I've failed movies, depending on who you ask. Um, I only got to Twitter because Diablo Cody. Oh yeah. That was the only reason I was on Twitter. Yeah. Sure. I saw her, I think, forget where, well, not personally. I don't, I don't even know her. I oh, think I okay. met her like kind of once maybe. Um, and I don't even know if I met her or if I saw her on TV at this point because mm-hmm. it's going back a few years. But I read something about her being on Twitter, I think in Entertainment Weekly, and I was like, hey, hmm, Diablo Cody. She's got a finger <laughs> on the pulse. I got to check out this Twitter. Um, she's now since left both. She's not on yeah, Twitter and not on Instagram anymore. Well, I mean, um, I I get it. It's just, it's, I mean, that's a, a Twitter. Have for- you ever joined? Oh, I'm on Twitter and on Instagram. You're doing both. Uh, I find Twitter. Twitter feels like a, a is a neighborhood I don't want to walk into often. I, I feel like I I go into Twitter when it's time to like uh, promote something. Yeah, to promote and just make people aware of something. Like we're doing this live uh, live read of Casablanca on Thursday. Let's talk about and, that real quick. Yeah, sure. You have this whole almost side industry here in town. <laughs> Jason is known for doing these readings. And he's been doing it for years. This is going back to when? Uh, yeah, we started. Uh, I guess. Man alive! It's been uh, seven years now, and uh, we've done forty of them. Uh, we did a we did a bunch of them at LACMA. We did five seasons of the live read at LACMA, all and what, sold out. What they do is they get a script and have a live reading of it with like you know fucking cool famous people. Yeah, like we did the apartment with Steve Carell and Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. We did we've done Princess Bride multiple times with like we've done it with Carrie Elways as Wesley, but we've also done it with Carrie Elways as Humperdinck. Done uh, all African American uh, Reservoir Dogs and un- uh, all female Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Uh, That's awesome. We did Empire Strikes Back with uh, Ellen Page as Han Solo and Mark Hamill as the Emperor. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've done amazing. Now we did Ghostbusters with Seth Rogen and with Rain Wilson and with Jack Black. Uh, and this Thursday we're doing Casablanca, uh, all female cast here in downtown LA at the Ace Theater. Uh, all proceeds going to Estrella, which is an amazing uh, uh, organ- LGBTQ organization that um, in this particular instance, they are creating safe havens for young gay kids, young trans kids internationally who are in countries where their lives are in danger. Their their livelihood is on the line. And, uh, and we're doing one of the great screenplays of all time about people trying to get to safe haven trying right. you know love that cannot be and it's gonna be an amazing night like we're gonna do like live singing on stage where and, is it uh ace theater downtown yeah oh the the the, the hotel yeah That's a beautiful fucking oh, theater. It's a gorgeous theater um have you always um sold tickets and given the money to charity yeah i mean we did uh we did a juno read for planned parenthood and we've done <laughs> That's uh That's right and then yeah. we did i mean all the LACMA ones, the money was going to the museum and going to film independent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we've done a lot of film festival ones, Toronto film festival. How did they come together? I, th- when Elvis Mitchell took over, uh, 
the uh, programming nights at LACMA. Uh-huh. He reached out to me and said, what do you want to do? And we started talking about this idea and then it was born. That's so fucking dope. Yeah. How many do, do you do a year? Is it schedule or are you just we like... We used to do a ton. Catch, now it's like one or two. Now, uh, it like, okay, for, we were shooting Front Runner in Atlanta uh-huh. when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico. Uh-huh. And it was like, all right, let's take our cast and let's do Princess Bride in Atlanta. And we just did and raised a bunch of money and sent it down to Puerto Rico. So it be, it's become this thing where it's like, if something happens, we can go put on one of these live reads that's Uh, fucking dope yeah it's cool i mean it's great because the audience gets something that's special we don't record them we don't stream them so the only way to experience it isn't being in the room room. so it's like this little gift for everyone in the room and the actors are crazy i mean it's just uh it's badass we have a really cool cast we're doing uh ellen page is gonna play humphrey bogart Uh, so we got olivia wilde we got kiersey clemens are gonna yeah it's gonna be a killer night um all right so the future, of course, every filmmaker is eventually asked about the future. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I, uh, you're, you're, here's your future. You're going to keep making movies, of course. <laughs> you know, uh, Diablo has uh, sold a show to HBO that I'm going to direct the pilot of. So get the fuck out of here. Yeah, we are. She and I are going to take. Have uh, they announced it yet? Uh, they have announced I, it because I remember seeing something about David her doing Spade is the lead, and I'm really excited about it. It's a really cool concept, and she's writing the pilot now. Um. So that will be your fourth collaboration. You're not. Yeah, you, that'll be number four for her and I. She, uh, well, Jennifer's body. I was I just going to say Jennifer's, Jennifer's body. body. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. this would be five. Yeah. And that's a movie that just this year all of a sudden has reached its. Oh, that movie's good. Yeah, that was way before its time, and like that, that kind of that humor with that kind of horror was something that just bounced wrong on people's ears when it came out. And now people are like, "Oh, that's right, Karn Kusama is a complete badass filmmaker." I just saw Destroyer. She did a really great job. Yeah, Nicole Kidman is insane in that. I, I mean, if you don't know, it's her going into the movie. Yeah. For the first 10, 15 minutes, you wouldn't fucking know. Yeah, the first time you see her face, you're like, holy shit. Now, when they do the past stuff, did they do a de-aging pass on her? Oh, or does she no just idea, fucking actually. look like that? Because uh, <laughs> I watched, I just watched the movie last night, and when she clearly they had to throw on some makeup to age her yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they do the flashback stuff, which is supposed to play, take place 15 years prior, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was like, either they've done a, you know, like a Marvel fucking de-aging past. Well, she looks exceptional in person. Like, Nicole Kidman in person is... This may just be what she looks is, like. Is, is stunning. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And my... Here's my gut. My gut is that while she was doing the movie, she was probably sleep depriving herself, and she was probably coming to get that look, that look in her eyes, all those bags. I think that comes from really getting into it. I mean, I know from Charlize on Tully, who was doing similar work and was gaining weight and not sleeping properly and purposely eating stuff that was going to like mess her up, and she would like set her alarm in the middle of the night to wake her up so she'd just like stuff her face and put more bad shit in her system. And are you shitting me? Oh no, no, no! That was all. That was she gained fifty pounds for that movie. It was crazy. That's it was what, crazy. No, no, thank God she got a Golden Globe nomination. <laughs> she was like sending me these photos of her just like eating like cheeseburgers and drinking milkshakes. And I would like, I would just put J'adore on them and then just email them right back. <laughs> but, so my guess is Kidman was probably doing that and that was fucking up her look. And then the tricky thing is then, you know, like what do to you do to then that. suddenly? Yeah. Um, the uh uh oh fuck what were we just talking about we got the live read we were talking about uh five with diablo yeah this would be the fifth with diablo um you get along uh insanely well with her you got me not you obviously get along but Mm -hmm. you, you seem to connect very well on the soul level yeah it's a weird thing i mean it feels like 
I mean, and I don't I, mean like boyfriend girlfriend. I mean no, as creators. No, yeah. Like, I mean, what I hope is that every five years we make a movie. I hope this is like for the rest of our lives we have this kind of long term story we are telling. Uh, oh, about that's that's awesome identity because I mean that's what the last three films have been about. You know, they're all about growing up. You know, Juno is about growing up too soon and and young adult is like being at that moment where you're a little too late and uh and tully is really about the moment that you say goodbye to your younger self i mean you realize by the end of the movie that's what the whole thing is about so is that it oh my yeah. god you just fucking now i'm watching that movie tonight yeah no that that's a good one and she what she did is really impressive as a screenwriter uh structurally so i hope that we just keep making movies every five years because there's it it when we met, it was like, oh, how did we not come from the same womb? Like, we're somehow connected. Um, I remember we were talking about the Jennifer's body. Yeah. So we jumped off to Karen and Destroyer. But yeah. jumping back to Jennifer's body, um, I owe you one of my favorite experiences in my career, mm -hmm. one of my favorite people to work with. Um, and I haven't done it a lot, but I have done it more in the last 10 years than the first 15 or whatever fuck in my career. Um, Adam Brody. Oh, yeah. First place. I didn't watch OC. So the oh, first yeah. place he pops on my radar is Thank You for Smoking. Yeah. <laughs> where I was like, oh, my God, this guy is genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he really is. He And and also in that, see, I was thinking of him because of Jennifer's body. He's mm -hmm. the, the fucking. Oh, my God. He's pretty memorable in that he's movie as well. just evil in the best way. He's absolutely one of my favorite fucking actors to work with and to just watch from, from the distance. He is a complete linguist and can kind of wrap his mouth around any language and will only make your dialogue sound smarter than it actually is. Yes. Uh, like getting a free writer as well. Sometimes totally a great ad libber. And there's a reason like why when Whit Stillman jumped back in the game and made a movie, it's like, Oh yeah. And he cast Adam Brody. That totally made sense. sense. Yeah. 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 Excellent call. Um, what a long career you've had. What a long career you're going to continue to have. I hope so. We'll of see. Of course it is. I know what your fu your future holds. You're you're going to be great. I appreciate that. You've Thank been you. great thus far and stuff, but I I know where it's going. And oh boy, um, you uh, are breathing rarefied air, motherfucker. Enjoy it. I know you're like it's fucking gone already, but two movies in one. I year. I don't think it's fucking gone already. I I'm, I'm all right. I appreciate that. Two but. movies in one year is fucking. That's like seven in one blow. You're the giant killer, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> that's you're uh, in such rarefied company. Uh, that that's that's very kind of you. Mm. Um, I'm thrilled to have two DVDs on the shelf, and um, you know, I just hope people you know find them and see them and dig them, and I get to make more. This is coming as not just a filmmaker, but as a, a dude who's also has a kid of his own, so knows a thing or two about being a parent. God damn your father and your mother, but your father's a filmmaker. And your mother was an actress, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went to Cannes. Yeah, and directed a movie, too. She directed a movie called Casual Sex that had Leah Thompson. Victoria she Jackson, made Casual Andrew Sex Dice with Andrew Dice yeah, Clyde. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I have a cameo in it. All right. You got two filmmaker parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a cameo in that movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm like a little guy. I have cameos in most of my dad's movies, too. My first kiss was in Kindergarten Cop. Are you shitting my me? My dad directed my first kiss. <laughs> oh, well, that's creepy and cucky in a weird it's way. It's a little weird. It's like 10 takes. As a guy, 10 takes. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder. No wonder you got issues you're working about on film. <laughs> um, but from a, for a kid who's a filmmaker of two filmmakers, hmm. they must be crazy fucking proud of you. 
I'm, oh, they're no, over the moon. They're oh. gen- genuinely over the moon. Uh, there's a dream right there. You're yeah. like, oh my god, he look at him. He's fucking doing it. No, my dad is the one who pushed me to be a director. You yeah. know, I I I went to school and I was going pre med, and I thought I'll go be a doctor, and no one will ever question why I ever made this decision. And my dad came to visit me and said, "What are you doing?" Where'd you dad, go to pre med? Where uh, I was like at Skidmore in Saratoga Springs, and my dad's like, "What are you doing?" And I told him I'm scared, and he told me that's not a reason to do anything. And he became the first Jewish father in history to tell his kid, don't be a doctor. Be a <laughs> and I moved back to L.A. And, and started making short films. And like a year later, I was at Sundance. Are you shitting me? Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, That's right then and there. Like, maybe maybe not, any, not all of us can identify with being the son of the guy who made Ghostbusters. But we can all identify with having or dreaming of having a father that would say something like that. And my father's always known the right thing to say. Um, he spoke to the creator in you. He recognized his own. We could smell our own, dude. And he fucking smelled it on you. He's yeah. like, you're not going to save lives. Get out when there and I started, make movies. <laughs> <laughs> I would have made a shitty doctor. So I think he made a good call. But th- there was a moment when I started writing and then there was, and I could tell he valued my writing and our relationship changed in that moment. And we were less close before and when we could start talking storyteller to storyteller, that changed everything. Get out of here. Yeah, really? because it became a way to talk about anything. And he and I, I literally, I, I drove over here uh, today and I was on the phone with my dad the entire time just talking movies. I mean, we just constantly are just uh, talking shop, talking movies. What did you just see? Um, and I'm always learning. That's That almost makes me go like, I wish I'd had a son. <laughs> we get to do that with our daughters though and absolutely I'm true like i just showed you know i'm pushing her to fucking make movies and shit i'm like don't wait to get chosen <laughs> choose yourself i just showed my daughter breaking away for the first time great movie oh, she loved it we watched 2001 for the first time this year do you think she's gonna you think she's gonna wind up in the family business i don't know i wouldn't mind either way but she 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 digs it she digs movies and we like really get into it on she movie the movies. nerds and yeah she nerds out and uh and i and i love it um before we go real quick that uh we, you heard before uh jason's parents or his grandparents came over uh they went to toronto mm-hmm. uh uh young ivan reitman is raised in toronto and his dad what does he do works at the, my grandfather yeah. uh dry cleaner and a car wash car wash um is that what he buys for him yeah his dad ivan reitman buys for his parents after which movie uh it must have been early like stripes ghostbusters kind of you know era and is is it is your dad working or worked at that car wash or what is the no my grandfather managed the car wash and my my father uh used his uh his new money to buy the car wash for your for for your grandfather so eventually the I mean, number one, beautiful fucking story right there. Mm-hmm. And if you were doing the story of somebody's life, that's a great. That's the ending. Oh, it's a great third act. It's a great, wonderful ending. But it story goes on from there. That corner in Toronto. King and John. Now has, well, now it's fucking, it's right in the heart of things yeah. in Toronto. But they build a gigantic fucking building there where the, the TIFF light box is. Yeah, the first six floors were donated to the Toronto Film Festival and all the year-round film festivals they have, all the movie work they do. It's an incredible movie theater that is constantly programming the coolest shit in Toronto. Um, the rest of it's like a building building. Yeah. But they named that area... Reitman Square. Come on, dude. 
No, I mean, it's like an event. Like within one, and and that's the other beautiful thing. Like all that happened within one generation, right? Yeah, my family shows up with nothing and- uh, Canadian dream. uh, It really, it really is. And I'm honored to be connected to that because I didn't do any of that work. I'm just sitting here riding the gravy of it. And uh, it just, uh, it makes me extraordinarily proud. And it makes me want to, you know, live up to that name. And how it was that? Did smoking go to Toronto or Sundance? That's where it was born. It went to Toronto. It, it went to Sundance after, but it sold at Toronto. So the first screening we had was at the Ryerson Theater, where I've, you know, premiered almost every I have film. I show Zach and Mary there. It's a great that. theater. Oh, it's a killer theater. It's a great theater for comedy. Yes. And it's on a college campus, and it's the place it's, where it's where they show the midnight movies. And it's yep. like, that's where you want to play. It's where Tusk played, yeah. Uh, that's a badass theater. It's for people who love movies. And uh, you could play in, like fancier theaters and everyone will show up in suits or you can mm-hmm. play at the Ryerson like Elgin and it's or like something. movie people. Yes. And uh, so the Thank You for Smoking plays there on the first Saturday and you know you know that there's a there's a there's a hand sweat that every director knows uh, and it's that it's when your movie starts mm-hmm. and you realize there's nothing you can do and you just hope in the audience you know they go for the ride oh my god and you're just you're sitting in your seat in the theater surrounded by the people and your hands are just pools of sweat and like the person sitting next to you go to hold your hand and it's just like soaking and uh um and that's how it was and it sold that night it sold the searchlight that Fox night. searchlight man that's how and you've made a bunch of movies with them yes i made a couple and then uh, did a bunch of paramount and uh uh this one's a sony um what a what a what a wonderful career dude so far so great i uh, hearing you say that means the world i'm telling Thank you just you look, go look at his imdb page look at the talent that he's he's worked with that's a testimony to who he is as a director the fact that you can catch like big names with with material that doesn't necessarily scream blockbuster that's a testimony to who you are as a filmmaker. You're so kind. Uh, it's true. Next time I come, let's just talk about other people. We will. <laughs> all right. We will. We, did. we, we will. We, but <laughs> on right, Mike, right. we got to talk about you. All right. Uh, there it is, man. Fucking uh, go check out Tully. Go check out The Front Runner. Go check out uh, his entire catalog, man. After this, I guarantee you, they'll be like, oh, shit, I forgot that. Oh, well, I want to watch that. Ah, sweet. And come see the live read this Thursday. If you're, if this you're here Thursday. in Los Angeles, you got to come check it out. It's going to be an amazing At night. the Ace Hotel, and that's downtown. Yeah. That's a great thing to go see. There it is. Um, thank you for coming over, man. Continued success. Are you kidding me? It's an honor. Uh, there it is, folks. That's Smodcast for this week. I'm Kevin Smith. I'm Jason Reitman. Have a week. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. WeWork. Did you know that the Smodcast offices are in WeWork in Los Angeles? Man, there was a time when I first got in this business, I was like, we need an office. And an office is really just a clubhouse. It's where you go hang out and stuff. You, you know, the older you get, the more you tend to work from home. Because who wants to go through the expense 
of putting down money on a, de- a deposit and a first and last month, and then you're paying monthly and stuff like that on a big office. We don't do that anymore, man. It's a waste of money. You know what we do now? We go to WeWork, son. I love WeWork. Smod guest set up at WeWork, man. That's where Jordan Monsanto goes to work every morning. WeWork is phenomenal. Not, not, not only is it an inexpensive way to have your own office, it's a fun way. You're surrounded by other businesses. When we opened a few SKU offices in Red Bank, you know who was across the hallway from us? The language school. When you're at WeWork, you know who's around us? Other movers and shakers. Anna Ferris has her podcast there, man. Uh, all sorts of business are right there we work they got this collegial atmosphere man where everyone's together in the same space and, and you can network and meet people who don't necessarily work in your business but they could be helpful to your business man i have loved uh being at we work i love the food bar that got set up i love the bar bar that got set up man i just love the setup i love being around the people and whatnot you will too man you want an office like if you've never thought about having an office we work is the way to think about it man you don't have to put up tons of money and you can have your own workspace surrounded by like-minded individuals man you want to go to a we work location man and check it out become a member for heaven's sakes man have your own space it's pretty damn uh convenient they got 270 locations around the world man and the place is growing fast they got buildings in vancouver atlanta poland australia come on man like anywhere you could work we work is there uh, to get 20% off at WeWork? You go to my page at we.co slash Kevin. We.co slash Kevin, K E V I N. That's we.co slash Kevin. And uh, inquire about it. They're going to give you 20% off. 20% off on an office is a lot of money, man. Uh, you want to be professional? You want to feel professional? Get a WeWork office, man. That's what we did. I feel like a grown up. WeWork.